Evening, everybody. Thank you for waiting patiently. It's always an experience getting kids out the door when they have no idea where their socks are and their boots are, and then, yeah, anyway. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Uh, tonight we are going to continue our study of praying with Paul from his New Testament letters. Um, As we learn how to pray according to God's will, by listening on Paul's prayers on Wednesday nights, we're learning, if you recall, what we ought to adore, what we ought to appreciate, what we ought to uh, ask for, admonish, and amen in our own prayers. Uh, we saw over a period of about eight weeks what we ought to adore God for in prayer. And in short, we are called to just simply worship and uh, adore God for who he is in and of himself. Uh, So when we come across, for example, a passage of Scripture that describes to us who God is or one of His virtues, we ought to grab hold of that and we ought to to repeat that back to the Lord, just like the angels in heaven do, where they recount to the Lord the glory of His name. We ought to as well. We ought to adore God in prayer. Uh, And that brought us then, after that study, to the second section of our study, which is what to appreciate in prayer, what we ought to thank God for in our prayers. So we ought, we ought to pray not simply for God to do more, but we ought to pray out of a heart of appreciation for what God has already done for us. Uh, we must adore God, and we must thank Him for what He has done. Now, We've already seen that we ought to thank God for two things so far. First, from 2 Corinthians 9.15, we learned that we ought to thank God for giving us Christ. As he said, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And then second, we saw from 1 Corinthians 15.57 that we ought to thank God for giving us, through Jesus, complete and total spiritual victory. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us tonight to the third thing that we ought to appreciate in our prayers to God, and that is that God has given us grace. We ought to appreciate that God has given us grace. Grace, unmerited kindness, or as one person put it as the acronym, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, where Paul writes, I give thanks to my God always, for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So this is Paul lifting up a prayer of appreciation that God has given us grace in Christ Jesus. But before we go any further, uh, let's just ask the Lord to richly give us wisdom as we open up his word tonight. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much um, that in the craziness of the week and even in the craziness of the day, we can come together as a church family tonight and we can listen to your word, we can read it, we can study it, and by your spirit we can understand it and we can apply it to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would do the work that you have promised. Father, I pray that as we hear your voice tonight, we would follow you. I pray that as your word is taught, we would understand it and receive it with hearts of full assurance and conviction that we would hear your word as it truly is, your word, not the word of any man. And so, Father, uh, give us grace tonight to understand the grace that we have in Christ Jesus, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here in verse 4, Paul makes it very clear 
that he is thanking God for the grace that is given both him and other believers in Christ Jesus when he writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. But I want to bring out for you all tonight how Paul thanks God for the fact that the grace that God has given us in Christ is not a one-time momentary thing, but it is in fact, a, if you want, an ecosystem, an environment of grace that surrounds the believer from beginning to end. Just as the psalmist says in Psalm 23, verse 6, that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, so also Paul thanks God for the past grace, the present grace, and the future grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. So that is the life of a believer in Jesus. It is a life of grace. Grace behind us, grace besides us, grace before us. And we ought to thank God for it. We ought to appreciate how God has given us first, in verse 4, past grace. Past grace. He says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. And that's in the past tense in the Greek. In other words, when we were placed into Jesus Christ at the moment of our salvation, at that very distinct moment in time, we became recipients of God's amazing grace. You say, well, what is that grace that we received at the very moment of salvation? Well, a full recounting of it, no human being could ever tell. In fact, we'll be spending all eternity marveling at the grace that we received, that saving grace, the moment we were placed into Christ. But in short, you could say it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Paul says here in verse 4 that our past grace was given to us when we were, when we were united to Christ. When God placed us, he says, in him, in Christ Jesus. And then he says later in verse 5 that the present grace that we are receiving, uh, we are enriched in Christ again. And then he says in verse 7 that our final grace is given when our Lord Jesus Christ himself is revealed in the end. So in a very real sense, Jesus is the full expression of God's grace to his children. Um, He is God's inexpressible gift from which all other gifts of God's grace flow. But in terms of considering... uh, what grace we were given, past tense, the moment we trusted in Christ. And for the sake of tonight's message, since verse 5 kind of talks about how, we, uh, how grace enriches us in Christ, I just want to briefly recount tonight how God's saving grace removed from us certain things the moment we trusted in Christ. And I want to summarize it in three, three things. That grace removed from us, guilt, obligation, and merit. When we were placed into Jesus Christ, God's grace eliminated from our lives, or ought to have eliminated from our lives, any sense of guilt, any sense of human obligation, and any sense of human merit. So think about it. First, there is no guilt in grace, right? When you are saved, no sin or guilt will ever be held against you before God for all of eternity. As we've studied in Colossians 2 verse 14, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That record of debt is gone from us. So there is no guilt in grace. Second, there is no obligation in grace. When you are saved There is no have-tos. You are given the freedom to never have to pay God back because, frankly, you never could. You never could. As Romans 4, verse 4 and Romans 11, verse 6 says, if there is a requirement for grace, for works, then grace can no longer be called grace. And that's why 
Romans 7 verse 6 says that we as believers serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, right? We serve God as followers of Jesus because we delight to, not because we externally have to. There is no guilt in grace, there is no obligation in grace, and third, there's no merit in grace. When you were saved, God saved you when you did not deserve it. Romans 5, 6, and 8 says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As one of the reformers wrote, the only thing that we bring to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. We did not deserve our salvation. There is no merit in grace. So this is, I guess, if, we, if again, you could... Mention a thousand things that were received the moment we trusted in Christ. But in terms of a summary, right? This is the past grace given to us in Christ. The moment God's grace was given to us in Christ, we stood before God in that moment with no guilt, no obligation, no merit of our own. We ought to thank God for this. We ought to thank God for His past grace that He has removed from us all guilt, all obligation, and all merit of our own. We ought to appreciate that God has given us past grace. Second, we ought to appreciate that God is giving us present grace. That's kind of in verses 5-7. through Paul says here, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and knowledge. Here Paul says that we were enriched in Christ. We were enriched in Him. And considering verse 7, the sense that Paul is talking about here is that when we were placed into Christ, we were enriched and we are being enriched continually in Christ. We are receiving from our connection to Christ, just as branches to the vine, we are receiving from Him present, continual, ongoing grace. You say, well, how? Paul says, in every way. In other words, we are being enriched in Christ in every way needed and in every way necessary. In other words, we receive from Jesus Christ grace upon grace for every day and for every duty. And Paul gives two areas in which we need daily grace in our lives. He says, uh, in all speech and in all knowledge. Paul reminds us here, you were enriched in Christ and you received all the knowledge that is necessary to glorify God and you received all the ability needed to testify for Christ. And when did this happen? Is it after you took a 10-week workshop on how to effectively evangelize? Is that when you received it? That's what we think as Christians, right? I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I have a great enough public speaking skill to open up my mouth and share the gospel with this individual. And Jesus is like, are you kidding? If you know Christ, you can share Christ. You were enriched, he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. You could say that word also is implanted among you. In other words, we as believers receive all the speech and knowledge necessary to glorify God and to testify for Jesus Christ in this world when we first believed the testimony about Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwelt and sealed us in that moment. So how much, I ask you again, how much knowledge do you need to effectively witness to someone who is lost? No more knowledge, 
then you have already received and believed the truths that you yourself understood when you accepted Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior yourself. You have a saving understanding of the gospel and you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. That is why the Great Commission is given to every believer. Every believer. You have all speech and you have all knowledge. And I'm not just saying this generically. I'm talking to you tonight as it was impactful for me. You have this. You have all speech. You have all knowledge. And beyond even that, can we just add to what Paul says, even though he doesn't say it here. He says it other places, right? Beyond that, you have the knowledge of God illuminated to you in his word by his spirit. As 2 Peter 2.3 says, all that you need for life and godliness you have, beyond just the understanding of what Christ has done for you in the gospel. And beyond the empowering of the Holy Spirit that has come to indwell you. And so, in short, Paul says in verse 7, in light of this, so that you are not lacking in what? Any gift. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? You have been given all necessary knowledge. You have been given all necessary speech. Therefore, you are not lacking in any spiritual gift. We are complete in Him, as Paul says over in Colossians 2.10. By the present and continual enriching grace that is given to you in Christ Jesus, you are able to live for the glory of God and to testify for Christ in this world. And so the implication that Paul is making, even though he's not giving a commandment here, is the implication is, so do it, right? Do it. Let's not wait until we think that we have finally been better equipped or trained for it. We came equipped for this mission the moment we were united to Christ. We came with all knowledge necessary to live for the glory of God and all ability needed to testify for Christ. And so let's be busy doing it. Notice, he says this, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, why would we be waiting for that? And it's because our experience of God's amazing grace isn't finished yet. Because we ought to appreciate that God has not only given us past grace and is giving us present grace, we ought to appreciate that God in Christ is going to be giving us future grace in verses 8 through 9. Paul says here in verses 8 through 9 that God, notice, will sustain you. That word sustain means he will settle you. He will make you steadfast, immovable, to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that I was thinking about as I was studying this. Is Just think about this one thought. How we often think it's going to be terrifying someday to stand before God. Because in that moment, we can think to ourselves, You know, what if God puts up a big projector screen? Plays my life. It's going to be the end of the world, right? Every thought, every intention revealed for everybody. Here's what this verse says. How many sins are going to be held against you when Jesus comes? None. None. Total forgiveness. Buried beneath the blood of Jesus Christ. None. As Ephesians 5 says, when Jesus does come, He's going to present us to the Father without spot or blemish or any such thing, holy and without blemish. A complete transformation. That is crazy when I consider, yes, bonkers, when I consider 
beyond my own spiritual state of affairs to consider that one day God is going to create out of this depraved human being someone that's pure and spotless and undefiled before God in heaven? Wow! That is what you call grace. Grace. All by His grace. As 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You say, well, how do we know that we shall be like Him in that day? How do we know? Well, we know that because verse 9. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's so much more I wish I could say about this verse, but to finish this up, listen, the same God who called you is the same God that will glorify you. He who was faithful to shower you with, with indescribable grace in the past and the same God that showers upon you immeasurable grace in the present is the same God that will shower upon you endless grace in the future. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just like what Romans 8 verse 30 says, those whom He called, He also justifies, and those whom He justifies, He also glorifies by His grace. By His grace. It's just like what we saw sing in that in that hymn, "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home." It's all God's grace. I don't know what to talk to God about tonight. <laughs> Thank Him for the grace that's yours in Christ. The past grace that He has given you, and all the things that He has freed you from. The present grace that He gives you, even tonight, to understand the words that are given, the grace that surrounds you at present, and thank Him for the grace that is to come when you step into glory and to see His face someday. This is our God. He's the God of all grace who showers upon us grace upon grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, and He should be thanked for it. He should be thanked for it. We should thank Him for the past grace He he has given us, the present grace He is giving us, and the future grace that He will give us. We should thank God in prayer that He has given us grace. And so, let's keep that in mind as we break up into groups tonight and pray, is that, man, we ought to thank God for the rich blessings He has given us, past, present, and future as believers in Christ.